Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loved us and raise people up in his love. We are grateful to have you listening. Regardless of who you are, you are welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. This weekend was not gonna cheer for anything, but uh, congratulations to you all, and congratulations to us, and congratulations to everyone, every person who's made it through election week this week. Uh, that was so painful. That was just genuinely so painful. Um, it was like a, it was like a nightmare that never ended for about four days. Um, so congratulations to everybody who's made it past it in one piece. Um, I know like a lot of Christians have spoken out about this election, uh, including myself. Uh, so regardless of whether or not you have the same opinions as me or whether, regardless of whether or not uh, you understand what, what I was saying or what another person was saying, if you have any questions about uh, what it means to be Christian in America and what it means to just kind of playing off of what we talked about last week in terms of being Christian in government, um, and what that means, what that implies. If, if any of you guys have questions about uh, the way this election has played out for the church of our country, for the Capital C Church of our country, please, please ask me and talk to me. I will answer you with complete honesty and candor. Um, so yeah, come talk to me about that. If you want to talk to, if you want to understand what context I'm speaking from, go watch last week's sermon if you haven't. Um, and just I encourage, I strongly encourage you to reflect on uh, what it means for us to be Christian in this country. I know a lot of people, especially before and after the election, with questions of whether or not Trump will concede, whether or not President-elect Joe Biden will actually follow through with his with his uh, beliefs as a leader. A lot of things have been going back and forth, and a lot of Christians have been speaking out, but um, Jesus is still our Lord, and not, not to absolve anything, but I think it's really important for us to operate with the understanding that the Bible comes before everything and that uh, we have a God that is a true and perfect judge. Um, scarier, it's more severe. Uh, the human rights violations and the injustices that our church has committed becomes a whole lot more severe and... Um, whatnot when you think about biblical justice but at the same time i think it's important for us as christians to wrestle through so not to give like a huge um reprieve before but yeah come talk to me if you have any questions about what it means to pursue faith um as americans um whether or not you were able to vote this election um please come talk to me about it and yeah and you know this weather is crazy guys i know i always mention the weather but i cannot believe it hit 70 something degrees in the middle of November, right as election week was over. It was quite, it's very surreal. This weekend is very surreal. But as we, as we reflect on what's been happening in our country, as we reflect on the past six, seven months of quarantine, I hope you all are being able to, or you all would be able to with me and with our community be grounded in scripture. Um, it's easy to feel like we're floating, but we're not. Uh, we have the Lord. So one thing that has not changed, that will not change, 
until, unfortunately, it will not change until right before Advent. And that, my friends, is the book of Acts. We have been in this book for all of quarantine. And if y'all don't know the book of Acts after this, I don't really know what to say to you because I don't think I can preach another six months. Okay, so Acts 26. Um, last week we talked about Paul um, being Christian uh, in, in the courtroom. And we talked about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a citizen. And this week we are talking about we're, we're actually heading into the passage right afterwards. So technically, it's Acts 25, 5, uh, 25, 13, all the way through Acts 26, 32. But today, during worship, we'll be reading from Acts 26, 19 to 32. Um, I highly encourage you guys to read the whole passage, maybe even as I speak and fill you in with context. Um, it is very interesting. But I'm reading from the ESV. If y'all don't have an ESV Bible... Or y'all don't have a Bible in general, and y'all have not gotten back to me about not having a Bible in general. Eesh, just kidding. But can you tell me so that I can get you one? Thank you. Um, I be, I'll be reading from the ESV. I highly recommend you guys read from the NIV or the NRSV because it's easier to read. So this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but to all who hear me this day, might become such as I am except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in praying? God, we're so grateful for you this morning. We're so grateful that you are with us and that you usher in the presence of God this morning. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be a church together. We thank you, God. Uh, even when we 
take it for granted. And even when it fatigues us to worship together online as we do, I pray, God, that you would give us thankfulness about the ability to be able to worship. I pray, God, that you would fill every room of everybody who's listening to this prayer with your spirit. God, I pray that in our hearts right now, Holy Spirit, would you take us to the next level with you? Abba, I am nothing. I am nothing without you. And I humbly confess that I am not, not anywhere near in the position to be able to do what I do on my own. But Jesus, I thank you that you have saved me, that you have vindicated me, that you have that you are sanctifying me, and that you hide me behind your cross. So Lord, I pray that you will continue to hide me behind your cross, that only you would be magnified and glorified. I pray that the words come out of my mouth not be mine, but that it would only be yours, that your people will only take away what you have to say. Not what I have to say, not my words, not my wisdom, but your words and your wisdom, God. So Father, Lord, I pray that you would receive all the glory and all of the honor and all of the praise we love you so much. We thank you for the cross. We give you glory. Everything in this worship is yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. Today we are talking about innocence versus, or innocence to God or government. I think that's a better title than what I have here. Today's title is innocence to God or government? Innocence to God or government? And the main idea is a call. Let's seek out God more than anything else in this world. The main idea is let's seek out God more than anything else in this world. So I just want to jump a little bit into this context, okay? just want to jump in a little bit on a lot of this context we haven't read today just because it was a long passage, so I you know, recommend that you guys follow along with your eyeballs. Um, so we are going into this context and, and the context is that right after Paul has stood before Festus, Festus, this new judge, right? So Felix is gone. Paul's been in jail for two years. The Jews renew their case. Paul gives his dissent. Festus says, I'll hear you guys later. And he starts to really question, why the hell Paul is in jail? He's like, what is going on right now? Like, what is actually going on right now? Why is Paul in jail? Right? And Festus brings it before Agrippa and Bernice. So who is Agrippa and Bernice? Agrippa and Bernice... Agrippa is a king, Bernice is his sister, they lead provinces, but basically in Roman custom, everything is based off of, so you know how like in politics today, everything is based off of money and power? Uh, back in those days, everything was based off of honor. And so if somebody was appointed to be governing an area, then neighboring rulers within the Roman Empire went to say hello. And Agrippa and Bernice were going to say hello. And when Agrippa and Bernice went to say hello to this new governor, what happened was, especially was like, hey, while you're here, I'm really confused. <laughs> so I have this guy named Paul in my jail right now. And I have no idea why he's in jail. 
I heard his case. And but I don't, I can't even, and he's already appealed to Caesar because the Jews were pushing too hard and I have nothing to write in this appeal because I have to draft this document to send to Rome so that Paul can go to Rome, but I don't even know how to write down these claims because there are no claims, right? Now, one thing to note here is that Festus lays it out. If you guys read it, I, I know I, I, it was a very, 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 very liberal paraphrasing of what Festus has actually said, but uh, when you read through the verses here, one thing to note is that actually Festus makes himself look good. So Luke is, Luke is the, the person who, the author of Acts is Luke, right? He wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the second book is the book of Acts. And so Luke is writing this, and Luke is a very, very smart individual, okay? He's very tok-toke, all right? And so he tells the story in such a way, not where, he, you know, I was just talking about this with a couple people because I was talking about writing essays and there's a significance versus between showing and telling. It's one thing for me to say, Andy is mean. And another thing for me to say, Andy said this, this, and this, this person's eyebrows furrowed, their head bowed, and Andy was happy, right? Um, one is like, just saying Andy was mean. Another one is explaining what had happened so you can come to the conclusion of Andy's character. And Luke is really good at inserting his opinions through what details he lets show, right? And so Luke says that Festus said this and this and this and this and this to Agrippa. But one thing that Festus conveniently leaves out is that Festus was trying to keep, Festus goes, well, you know, I, I asked Paul if he wanted to have his trial in Jerusalem because I was so confused at this and I didn't know what to make of it. But Festus conveniently leaves out that he wanted to do the Jews a favor. So we see here, although Festus is a man with some integrity, he's also covering his skin right now. He's trying to make himself look good. This is a really tough case. And he brings it for, before Agrippa, pro probably for the sake of honor. Um, and so Agrippa is there to network. So Agrippa, on the other end, is very grateful to cement his relationship with this new guy. Uh, and so he's like, yeah, we'll be friends. Okay, I'll do this for you. And then Festus is covering his butt. Um, but one thing, if I can say Festus's problem with Paul's case about having to kill Paul that the Jews want. If there's one thing that Festus has a problem with, it's that religion is brought into a court of law and made into a strong crime. So one thing that the Roman government can't understand as Paul is in court is why, why this thing, why this, this, act of believing in Jesus is a crime worthy of death by the Roman government. So Festus is like, what the hell is going on? Like, what the hell is going on, right? Um, it kind of reminds you, like, what, what I think of when, when, I, when I think about, you know, Festus's question, because I mean, I have that same question. I don't know if y'all relate to Festus, but I relate to Festus in that situation. Yeah, I'd be covering my own skin. What, what the heck is going on? Like, why is this guy almost about to die? He didn't do anything, right? There isn't any rule that he broke. Um, and it, it kind of reminds you of, like it kind of reminds me of, 
the closest thing that it reminds me of is like when people are arrested for like something as non-violent as a peaceful protest like when rosa parks was arrested and put in jail and had to go through very 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 dire circumstances in prison for sitting in the front of a bus and when martin luther king had to go to birmingham for peacefully protesting his rights um it's it's not something that it's clear in, in these situations, right? We've heard about it time and time again in the civil rights movement. But one thing that's so striking, one thing that was so striking about the civil rights movement that was the undercurrent of making change and progress happen is that the, the punishment that these people were paying was so disproportionate to what they had done, right? And when, when, when somebody is being punished disproportionately to what they have done, the automatic instinctual like feeling that somebody might get like i i get sussed out because i'm like uh that's not like that's not right right it's like almost fundamental to our lives that we would become immediately suspicious of about fairness and about justice and i think that's what's happening here for festus he's like a little sussed out about this case um but at least i mean even in the case of mlk and rosa parks they were actually breaking the law it was non-violent and the law was wrong and that's why they were protesting against it but they were actually doing something then there was a baseline in the case of paul it's about his faith we see the only contemporary instances that we might see is when pete when christians are killed for their faith across the world um there, there is no reason. There is no good reason for it. Thankfully, the Roman government is not functioning off of persecution of the Jews at this point. Um, but it is, it is a very curiously unjust situation. And so Agrippa gets brought in and he becomes this this guy who is an extra judge, who's an extra opinion, and he hears out the situation and he brings, they both, they say, you know, bring Paul in and Paul is brought in. And Agrippa says, okay, start talking. Um, you have the floor. And so Paul begins to talk. He, it says he stretches out his hands. This man is in chains. Okay, but he stretches out his hands. Like he is the greatest lawyer in the world, right? He stretches out his hands and he, he acknowledges Agrippa and he appeals to King Agrippa. And he starts talking very rhetorically. Very, very well-spoken well man. But if I were to split up what Paul is saying in three sections, right? The first thing that he says is, I've done nothing wrong to violate the law. The second thing he does is he goes seamlessly into his testimony. And then he ends with Jesus as Lord. So Paul takes a very different approach in front of King Agrippa and Festus than he has in an actual courtroom with other parties. Uh, in this kind of behind-the-scenes micro-hearing where Paul is explaining himself, he splits it up rhetorically in three sections. The first thing is, I have done nothing wrong to go against the law. The second thing is, he goes seamlessly into his testimony of how he came to Christ, and then he ends with Jesus as Lord. So the first part is, Paul explains that he has not broken Jewish custom. He explains, I have not been inconsistent with Jewish customs. He says, well, you know Jewish customs, and he appeals to King Agrippa. And he actually uses 
his pre he it's so good this man is so good at what he does he goes he says i have done nothing wrong this and this and this is what i was believing i was ritually pure here and actually before in my life i was a pharisee and i i've been trained in all the ways that the sanhedrin is trained and i studied in jerusalem and actually i was the one to persecute the christians and then one day god met me in damascus so he goes very very like y'all can't even tell i can't tell right when he stops with this first point and then goes into his second, he's like actually i was a jew of, of all jews and then he explains his repertoire he explains how he had persecuted the jews and he was killing jews off and he was ripping jews away from their families i mean christians away from their families and how god met him in damascus we all know the story right um a bright light hits paul he gets knocked off of his horse on the way to damascus to persecute even more christians and jesus says paul paul why do you persecute me paul says who are you he says i am jesus the one you are persecuting and then jesus calls him to go and share this message to everybody and so he explains this testimony before he goes into this solid ending that because it's so good he goes okay this is what i experienced with jesus and this is how i met the lord it is because of my experience in damascus that the jews are persecuting me today but god has kept me safe and god has kept me safe because the messiah like the messiah is real and there's nothing inconsistent with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is Lord. And so he, he ends with this message that Jesus is Lord and that this God has kept him safe until today. Very, very, very interesting. Because Paul does not do this in other passages. Why does Jane though go into specifics to a point where it might even bore me about what the structure of Paul's message is? Paul has a motive here, okay? Paul has a motive here. You, you have to understand, when I communicate to you, I am communicating to you because I have a motive for it. For example, when you confront somebody out of conflict, and you, you, you pull somebody aside and you say, hey, how are you doing? You know, Let's say like Kavana and I have bumped heads a bit, but we were not confronting each other, right? And then one day I just pull Kavana aside and I'm like, Kavana, how are you doing? You know, how's, how's life? How are the kids? How's your mom, right? And she starts to share and I'm like, hey, listen, Kavana, I, I actually have something to bring up before you, right? And we catch up and we, we have this situation where we conflict we resolve conflict and then we catch up and I come out of this and come on like, yeah, I felt really loved, but I had a motive there, right? Not that motives are bad, but clearly I started communicating to Kavana in order to resolve conflict, right? There are always reasons for why we talk and there are reasons for why we share and the reasons and the motivations of why we communicate something is often betrayed by the structure of what we say. More than the content itself, oftentimes the motive is betrayed by what the structure is. For example, our beloved current president um, is in denial right now about the, the election. And we've seen the seven stages of grief on his Twitter. 
Um, and it's quite, it's quite unfortunate. Uh, it's quite sad. Honestly, like if you consider, if you take everything aside, it's quite sad to watch a 70 some year old grandpa unravel uh, before the world. It's, it's, it's kind of hard um, in that sense. Like he, I'm, anyway, he has kids and anyway, yeah. So um, he unravels and the first, the first thing he says is, it's wrong. Stop the vote. Stop the count. This is all wrong. All votes. These are all the Democrats. They are that. They're the ones who do this, right? And he starts saying one thing after another, mentioning lawsuits, mentioning this, mentioning that. Why? Why? You see in how he communicates and the structure of how he communicates that he is trying to sway the American people into doubting the democratic system so he can stay in power, right? Um... And that's not necessarily just betrayed in the content of what he says, but the structure and the order of how he says it. A true rhetorician is able to communicate something in a particular way rather than actually flat out saying something. It's often in the way that the conversation was led. And Paul, at first glance, and at first, when, when Paul is first introduced, in this passage, you might think that Paul is trying to prove his innocence. The very beginning of what he says is, you know, I honor you, King Agrippa, basically. I'm, I'm, I am cheerfully thankful to be able to defend my case before you because I know that you are a good individual and that you understand what I'm saying. And so please hear me out. And he goes into how he didn't break the law. So at first introduction, it might seem like Paul is trying to prove his innocence. But midway, it kind of gets a little weird. It kind of starts to not be about that anymore. And he goes, well, actually, I was a Jew. And then Jesus met me in Damascus. And he hit me. And I was blinded. And then he freed me. And then I was called to preach this message to the Gentiles. And that's why the Jews don't like me. But you know what? God has protected me, and he is real, and this is what the Bible is about. And you slowly start to see the motive in what Paul is saying. See, Paul is not in this courtroom to prove his innocence. This blows my mind. I don't think I caught this the first and second time I read the book of Acts. Because right when it gets to this section, everybody's like, okay, Paul is going through court after court after court after court. Uh, and God is saving him. And that, yeah, that might be the surface level. But when you really look at what Paul is saying, you realize Paul has a motive. He is not just appealing to Caesar and talking to kings and going up the social strata and who to defend his case just to prove his innocence. Paul is evangelizing here. Paul is evangelizing here. And Festus and Agrippa, they, they say, you're, Festus says, you're crazy. You've learned too much and you've gone bonkers. And Agrippa says, are you really trying to turn me into a Christian right now? And Paul says, yes, not just you, but everybody who's listening to me. And then they're like, okay, stop talking. And they send him off. And, they're, and then they say amongst themselves, well, this guy hasn't done anything wrong. If only he didn't appeal to Caesar, we could just let him go right now. And that's how the passage ends. 
Now, when I think about what Paul is communicating and how Paul is communicating, I'm reminded of my mother. My mom is, y'all, y'all ever been, I, I have not seen this in Boston, but have y'all ever been in New York City? When you are in New York City, right, and you're at key subway stations, there are three things that you will always run into. Homeless people, musicians, and people shoving a tract into your hand saying, Jesus is real, amen. You know, those are the three people you will always run into in Penn Station, in Times Square. Oh, oh, oh. and the people that are trying to sell you their mixtapes for 20 bucks because they're trying to rip you off because you're a tourist. Uh, so four people. So four types of individuals that you will always run into in those like major intersections, right? And my mom, not regrettably, I'm very proud of her. I'm very proud of her. I know you're watching online. I'm very proud of her. Um, I am really proud of her. But she is one of those. She is. She does fall into a category. Um, and growing up, I was so... Right now, I'm so proud to be her daughter because she's a woman of God, let me tell you. You really want to know what God is... You don't ask her to pray for you. Um, but when growing up, it's nice now as a 25-year-old pastor, but imagine how it felt as a 16-year-old high school student. Imagine. Imagine. Because I... I have to go through Penn Station every day in order to go to school and to come back from school. And so does 3,600 of my classmates and my schoolmates. And, and, and my mother is there every morning. There, she, she actually, in high school, she was there. She was at Bryant Park, which is on 42nd Street. That's right by Times Square. Y'all, Times Square is the biggest subway station in Manhattan. And, you know, even when I would take a cab, I know out here in Boston, there are Ubers, but in, in, in New York City, there are, um, there are Korean taxis. They're called Kortekshi, right? And it's a, it's a, you, there are numbers. Like, I remember one was like, seven, like, Paranse was 718-888-8888, right? <laughs> or like, 718-505-0505. Like, it, they were always in patterns, like, 774-444-7777, right? Um, after the, the quintessential 718 area code. And so that's how, that's how like Cortexis ran, right? And so my, my, I, I, I moved to suburbia in high school because my mom made it in life. Uh, not, she didn't, anyway. Uh, but we would always have to, it would be too hard to take public transportation because my mom didn't drive and I didn't drive. So we would have to take a Cortexis into the city, into Flushing. And the distance between Douglaston and Flushing Main Street is 16 minutes, exactly. 16 minutes by car, okay? It's three miles and it takes 16 minutes between my house and Main Street Flushing, all right? And I'm chilling with my, oh, no AirPods. I'm chilling with my, like my earbuds in. At the time, I know right now it's AirPods. At the time it was Skull Candy. I was chilling with my in-ear Skull Candy, right? Just chilling, right? Listening to my angsty rap in my corner, right? In my corner with my leaf. Okay, and I don't want to be interrupted, but my mother, she is leaned forward in the taxi. She goes, Ajashi, how are you doing this morning? The weather is so nice. Oh my God, is that a picture of your children? Oh, like, why is that hanging? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? <laughs> I would be like, literally, guys, 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 y'all don't even know. Y'all really, you might feel like you do, but you don't because... You know, because midway to, I'm right next to her. And she has her, she has her 20 gospel tracks, right? With, with her, like, tissues, like, in, you know, her mom bag. 
and I'm on the other side, like really trying to melt into the car door. And she'll be like, oh, Tina, like, oh my God, I haven't seen my daughter yet. This is my daughter. Oh my God. Do you have daughters? Oh, what church do you go to? <laughs> right? And I'll be like, oh, be like cursing under my breath for 10 minutes um, as trying to cancel out the evangelism that was happening just so that like just a barrier of mumbling curse words under my breath, uh, just trying to like escape, like dissociate from the situation altogether. And so that happened a lot, a lot for me. And it would be, she would start that five minutes, like, no, she would be talking to the Ajashi from like the way, the second we got into the car, but she would start talking about faith, you know, this is a 16 minute car ride. She maybe started talking like five minutes in, right? So I have to deal 11 minutes in this 50 feet radius of just cringe. And she takes out one of her tracks and she shoves it in into the, the, the drink compartment. He's like, no, yeah, yeah. Like some, sometimes I'd be like, yeah, I'm not really religious, but I do I do go to church for the holidays. Or like, no, I'm Buddhist. Or like, oh yeah, like my kids believe. I don't really know. And she'll just be going back and forth with this guy. And I'd be like, oh my God, somebody save me. Get me out of here. And she would ask me, Jane, do you want to evangelize with me? And I'm like, mom, that's so sweet of you to invite me. No, <laughs> no, I'm good. You can do that in Penn Station. I'll be, I'll go to school. Um, yeah, so that, there were a lot of these moments, even to my friends, my first high school boyfriend. She'd be like, oh my God, it's so nice to meet you. Oh my God. His name was Steven. She's like, oh my God, it's so nice to meet you, Steven. Oh my God, it's so nice to meet you. Steven, can you open your hand? <laughs> I have something to give you actually. Uh, now that we're all sitting to go home, I have something to give you. And she would just kind of slide her hand like this and put some and like hold his hand or like shake his hand like oh she'd be like this and he would take it and then she would not shake his hand but she would just put like it would be like this and then she would slide her hand out and there would be the gospel of john in his hand okay that was me right and so evangelism if there's anything i've learned about evangelism it's that it's very very like you need to scheme my mama is very good at scheming Right. And so she's the perfect one. She's the perfect redeemed schemer, schemer to be able to, you know, share the gospel to so many people. And she's really, really effective. I can tell you a lot of stories. It's pretty remarkable, even though I, I say it like this. And, and actually, even in seminary, we're taught, we're taught how to evangelize, guys. There was a whole class on evangelism. And I would cringe in class. But the, you're actually taught. The first thing you're taught to do is you're taught to relate to them. So it's like, this is the mode of how you evangelize. The first thing you do is you relate to them. You ask them about whatever they're holding in their hand. You ask them about their clothing. You ask them about their family. You relate to them. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you have a sister? Me too. Oh, you like the color black? Me too. You know? And you just start relating to them on that level. And then you ask them, hey, why do you like this? And like, oh, like, why are you, you know, in this plane? Or why are you in this car? Like, where, where are you going? What's going on? And then the person will start to share and then you relate to them with love and then you pop the question. So you go to church or, you know, what do you believe in? And then you see where it goes from there. So evangelism is very much a scheme. I don't mean to say it like that, actually. Let me, let me reword this. That is not the gospel. Um, it's not a scheme, but you, it is a scheme. It is a scheme. It is a, 
It is a redeemed plot <laughs> to talk about Jesus. And Paul is originally the kind of man to overtly be like, Jesus is Lord, right? Overtly believe in Jesus Christ, right? But here, Paul does some serious plotting. And he starts, he's like, yeah, my innocence. I haven't broken the law. Actually, I was a Jew. And then one day, I was going to demand, I was, I was actually persecuting the Christians, but then one day Jesus met me. Y'all hear? Do you hear what Paul is actually doing here? So at first glance, it feels like Paul is defending himself, but the goal is actually evangelism. And then they think he, he's crazy. Now, you might wonder, well, Jane, though, you talked last week about being a Christian. Like, why would Paul bring Jesus into the courtroom? Why would Paul bring Jesus into the courtroom? Like, this is technically about the law. Like, why would Paul start to evangelize? The first thing to note is that it, it was a private hearing to determine the charges against Paul. Right? And it wasn't... It wasn't necessarily a hearing even just to prove his innocence, but it was a hearing to understand what the heck was going on in the case in and of itself. Um, so Paul had some liberty where this is not necessarily a full, it is a part of the legal system, but Paul had some liberty because it was that the leaders, the regional leaders wanted to fully understand what was going on and why Paul was being charged. So just Paul had an opportunity to speak to them is what was happening. And um so that they could properly like record his appeal to Caesar and Paul whether or not Paul used Jesus in the courtroom would be determined in the purpose of what Paul was saying so for Paul if if it was about being proven innocent that Paul brought up Jesus that would be bad right so you have to think about like uh, put another way it's like in our government right now a lot of the times politicians bring up Jesus for what why does Trump hold a Bible in his hands? Why does Joe Biden mention the greatest commandment? Why do both of them go to church on Sundays with cameras following them? It's because of power. It's not just because of their own faith for the faith in and of itself, but there is some element of invoking Jesus to appeal to people. So let's say Paul was invoking Jesus to appeal to people. There would be a problem there. There would be an ethical dilemma there. Because Paul is a leader of the church. So why would he use Jesus as a means to his end? That would be wrong. But see, it wasn't that Paul was using Jesus to be proven innocent. It's that Paul was using the charge of being proven innocent to talk about Jesus. There's a fundamental, outwardly, it might look the same, but there's a fundamental difference in what? Motivation. It's not that Paul, put another way, it's not that Paul was manipulating his faith to appeal to the leaders. It's that Paul was manipulating his case to appeal to the leaders about Jesus Christ. Not to, at, at, when you first hear that, it might be like, oh yeah, they do that. People do that. But if you really think about it, if you really, really think about it, it's remarkable. Because Paul is prioritizing evangelism above vindication or exoneration. Paul 
is prioritizing evangelism over being proven innocent. He's not using Jesus to crack the system. He's going through the system to crack open Jesus. And it it brings back into mind the promise of God that I keep bringing back to our attention. Acts 23, 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem... So you must testify also in Rome. This is the remarkable thing about this passage that nobody is talking about and it is very easy to miss. Paul is prioritizing God's call over his innocence in the court of law or even his place in society. In a very, very real way. Y'all, that's wild. That's wild. I read the last, a lot of the times in this, the way that this book and this passage gets split up, the last, the last couple of verses don't have to be included. But I included verse 22 because it says, And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. He could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. All my life, when I read this verse, I always wonder, I was like, oh man, that's really unfortunate. Like, if Paul had just been faithful without appealing to Caesar, maybe he would have made it. Maybe he would have been okay. He would have been safe. He wouldn't have had to go to Rome. He would have just been let out on the spot. But as I was breaking this passage down for the sake of preaching it, that's when I realized that that might have been the goal of Paul all along. He would rather stand before the emperor in a question of whether or not he will live or die and fulfill the law of God. If you think about it, it's really bold because Agrippa was like, are you really trying to convert me right now? And Paul goes, actually, yes. And not just you, but everybody in the room. It is my hope that everybody in the room comes to know Jesus Christ. And they're like, you're crazy. And they send him away. Because that's the goal for Paul. Now, what can we apply? It sounds crazy. It sounds like a really removed passage. But when you really think about application, we all might get really uncomfortable. Because Paul did not seek out vindication before he sought out a fulfillment of God's will for his life. Paul prioritized God over being called by God. I be, Being called, being... Sorry, that that was wrong. Paul prioritized being called by God and fulfilling his calling over being validated and approved by other people. He sought out God before he sought out innocence. 
And this is one thing that we see here. One thing that we see here practically is that the gospel takes precedence over everything else. What I mean by that is our lives and our message are not about growing in our identity, uh, not about reconciliation. It's not about healing. It's not about meeting other people where they're at. It's not about having community first. It's not about being known and loved by other people. It's not about belonging to North Boston. It's not about belonging to Jane or Amy or Tara or anybody. It's not about being known and it's not about like growing in your identity, being confident in yourself. It's not about owning up to how God, it's not even about all. What it's primarily about is the gospel. And all of those things Take a second seat to the gospel. The hard thing about believing in Jesus Christ, the irresistible thing about receiving a love that you never asked for, nor do you deserve, completely and fully and unconditionally, and there's nothing you can do to take that away, the offensive belief that you cannot save yourself without God and that you are in need of a savior because you're damned. This complex, perplexing, almost sometimes seemingly contradictory gospel of upside down land grace with Jesus Christ that we cannot comprehend nor understand takes precedence and understanding your identity as a Korean American Christian, belonging in the church, or even just an immigrant Christian, or just a Christian in your context, whatever your context may be, understanding your identity racially and spiritually and emotionally and familially, understanding and reconciling your hurts, you know, growing in belonging, growing in being known and loved, all of these things take a second seat to the gospel. If we think about it like that, and how hard it is for us to even apply that first point, we are no different than Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Because we often, including myself, guys, whew, I am not ready to say this next sentence. We often invoke Jesus to become more self-assured or self-aware. We often invoke Jesus to feel more comforted and happy and to belong. We often invoke Jesus to feel safe. We often invoke Jesus to remind ourselves of the hope that everything will be okay. To calm our anxiety. To heal. But see, it's Jesus is the goal. And having Jesus has all these side effects. I don't know why I thought of this right now, but now that it's filling my conscious state, I cannot not use this illustration. In a car, there is an exhaust pipe at the end. Right? Because when a car synthesizes fuel to power the engine, there is a byproduct of carbon monoxide. 
and that byproduct chemically builds. And so there's an exhaust pipe at the end because that carbon monoxide is a byproduct of fueling the car so that the car can go. Healing and reconciliation and growing in our identity and becoming self-secure and, and growing as individuals and being more sanctified and learning how to love our neighbors better and being better husbands and wives, all of these things is the carbon monoxide to this real work of gospel-driven transformation. So if you kind of, there has to be a word that I can replace this word with. I cannot replace it. If you have but this process for the sake of the exhaust, what are we doing? Who are we serving? And that's a real question that I need to ask myself. I'm inviting us all into a space to really question our understanding of the gospel. The gospel is crazy enough, big enough, strong enough to bring all of these things to fruition. But these things are not the goal. God is. And in the motivation of Paul, we see what it's like to have proper priorities. How Paul was using an opportunity and a, and a consequence or a circumstance that he was put in to do the work of God. At the end of the day, it is truly about God that you are the way that you are. And that will come to life. You, you, let's say you get all these exhaust pipe stuff done, right? Your relationship with God is not, it's not doing too great and you don't, you don't really want to work on it and you're kind of getting tired and it's quarantine. But hey, look at all the growth I'm making. Look at how I'm growing as a person. All of this work can only go so far. It's like trying to dig with a shovel instead of with that bulldozer thing. There's only a certain level to how far you can go. Because you are not powered by the gospel. See, because God wants the best for you. And God loves every single one of you so dearly and so deeply. God made you exactly the way that you are. He knew every mistake you were going to make. He knew every moment of weakness and brokenness that you were going to have. And he loved you and he valued your life and he made you. not connected to the charger. Goodbye to us all. Oh, yes. Um, 
But it's not, it's, yeah, switch over. Just turn that on. Take off the heat. Okay, more technical difficulties. That's fine. I'm going to clap for the recording, everybody. And so y'all are going to have to just, thank you for trapping with us. Ready? One, two, three, clap. No, I didn't clap. One, two, three. So God doesn't, he doesn't judge you where you are. He doesn't see you any differently. He doesn't love you any less or care about you any less. See, God loves you just the way you are. And he's built you in exactly those ways. If God didn't know, if God didn't love you that way, then the gospel would be all for naught. But the gospel in and of itself is powerful enough, strong enough to drive us, to move us in the direction that we need to go. But oftentimes we seek out this collateral. And honestly, that break in the middle of this sermon was probably really timely for all of us to take five, five, to to just be able to deal with what we've heard. Because let's be, let's be real, guys. We live in a consumerist era of faith. We can't help it. That's just where we are right now. But at the end of the day, if it is really because of God that you are the way that you are, that will come to life. And salvation is the only way. Whether or not your exhaust is about God or if it's not about God, that will come to life. Whether or not you allow God to move in your life, whether or not you give space, I don't even know which one to look at. That, okay. I, whether or not you have the space to grow and, and the space to be who you are in Christ, that will come to life. At the end of the day. Another thing is that we don't we don't we don't think about it all too often. And this is gonna be really hard because we don't think about it all too often, okay? Paul was innocent first before God. And that was what led him to be innocent in the court of law. It's not that you first solve your circumstance and then you come before God. It's that Paul did what was right in the eyes of God. Paul sought out the eyes of God before he even sought out right standing in government. Before he even sought out right status in citizenship. Paul cared first about his citizenship in heaven. 
And it just so happens, as it does, that right standing and citizenship with God as the perfect way holds precedent over everything else. What is your measuring stick of innocence? And what is your measuring stick of your worth? And what is your measuring stick of your goals? Is it morality? Is it virtue? Is it self-development and growth? Or is it God? What are you purposing yourself for? What are you seeking after? What are you seeking after? And the encouragement that I leave you with. When you desire God over even the circumstance, when you, Paul says in Philippians 4, he says, I have learned how to be content in high and low. I've learned, he says, it starts off with rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. I have learned to be content in every situation. And then he goes into, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you genuinely do seek, when you genuinely strive to seek after God, God will truly do the rest. What you can, what you can do, God can. God can do what you can't do. There might be a situation that you can't get out of, and it's painful. There might be a situation where you're blamed for something, where somebody's really hard on you, or you get in trouble with the law, or you do something, and that's not an indicator of who you are, but you get in trouble with the law. You, you run in with the law. You, you end up completely unraveling in your community or you know you're you're seen terribly and you're stuck in the situation that's completely unfair or not necessarily representative of who you actually are and it is so painful but god is greater than those things if you were to seek your exhaust above god if you were to seek your circumstance to be better before you seek out god's call over your life then you're hopeless in that situation. You have lost all hope in that situation. But when you have God, you have everything. And it is possible, church, for us to have all things and do all things. We might be uncomfortable sometimes. We might have to be selfless sometimes. We might have to battle and wrestle with God about what we want to do with our lives. But when God is the one that fights for you, look at Paul. I want to invite us to ask ourselves this morning, where do you stand? And everything. 
with God? How do you seek after the Lord? What are you seeking after? Your own self? Vindication from your circumstances? Or God? And although God is the hardest thing to seek after, it is the most rewarding. What do you desire? What is your goal? Let's seek out God more than anything else in this world. Would you join me in praying? Can we take a couple minutes to pray? What do you struggle or wrestle with? What do you wrestle with in seeking out God? What do you want to know? God or yourself? And maybe we can come before God honestly this morning while reflecting on Paul. What is your motivation? Why don't we come before God together today? with honesty as we reflect on his goodness over our lives. Just close your eyes right now. Put your hands in front of you, wherever you are. I don't know where you guys are sitting, but put your hands on your lap and open your hands. It's important to have this posture of worship and prayer because it signifies and helps our hearts to be open-handed before the Lord. So like, just open your palms on your laps or maybe you want to lift your hands or whatever it may be. Just open your hands. Let's, and why don't we pray together, you know, a prayer where it's like, God, what does it mean to seek you first? What does it mean that in you we have everything? How can I desire you right now? Even while quarantine is ravaging, even while all I can see is what I want out of my life. How can I, how can my motivation be to seek you? And maybe for some of us, we don't know him that well let alone how to seek him. Maybe our prayer today needs to be, I want to know this God that is greater than everything else. Whatever you're, you are at, wherever you are at, maybe some of you guys have to, I know I'm in this space where, you know, God is showing me how to re recall my first love. How my first love has dwindled and God is saying, hey Jane, remember how you sought me? Psalm 23 says, David says, one thing I've asked that I seek, that I dwell in the temple of the Lord all the days of my life. In the presence of the Lord all my days. And God was like, just pushing me this week to reflect on where my focus has been and whether or not I have lost that first love. 
So maybe some of you guys need to be brought back to your first love. Whatever it is, let's just take this time to pray together. Let's pray. God bless. From wherever you are listening, we hope you are blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.